Welcome to Future of School, the podcast, where we amplify all the key stakeholder voices in education. Students, teachers, parents, policy influencers, entrepreneurs, and more. And engage in meaningful discussions about what it means to create an education system in which all students can reach their unbounded potential. You'll hear diverse perspectives discussing the power and promise of technology, true successes in personalized learning, and what it means to prepare the qualified workforce of tomorrow. Enjoy today's episode. The future of the role of teachers in schools across America is one that's super exciting and critical to the success of a child. Um, Teachers have forever proven to be the most important factor in a child's education. We hear study after study about the, the impact of the relationship between, the, between learners and educators as being paramount to the child's academic success. In fact, a recent study shows that 75% of kids in K-12 schools, they identify their teachers in other roles. They identify with their teachers as mentors and role models. And what we saw this past spring was a, a fantastic effort from schools and teachers to take their classrooms, put them in their homes, and teachers were able to continue to reach out to students, to work with them, even if it was through, if it was through text, if it was through a basic means of communication. So the, the importance of the role of the teacher on the lives of kids has never been more visible in our country. Now we know that teachers, they can teach from anywhere, anytime, to be able to personalize learning for kids. Now, the next level of being able to empower teachers is to be able to respond to what they need. 10% of teachers in our country have said that they have strong tech training to be able to use different tools for instruction, but yet 80% of them express an interest in wanting that training. We know we're moving in the way of online and blended learning, virtual resources. And so it's time to listen to teachers and find out what do they specifically need? How do they need that delivered so that we can help them take their role to the next level wherever they teach, whether they teach in the brick and mortar building, they teach remotely, they teach hybrid. That's the modality. But at the heart of the teaching and learning process is the relationship between the teacher and their students. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Stick around for our featured interview and more great segments coming up. We're really excited to have Nancy Conrad here with us today. Nancy Conrad is a teacher, author, publisher, entrepreneur, and public speaker. She is the wife of late astronaut Pete Conrad and founder and chair of the Conrad Foundation. Welcome, Nancy. It's great to have you here today to talk about our podcast theme, which is what school will look like in the United States in the year 2025. Hmm. Interesting topic, I would say. Well, throughout the years, you've held a variety of different hats. And so it makes sense that we would talk to somebody who's worked in business and in education and who started out as an educator as well. This provides you with a really unique lens to talk about your impressions of what school will look like. And, and we can look out a year or two. I think it's challenging to look out five years from now since we're in a place where forecasting a month from now is, is impossible for some. So talk to us about 
um, how the concept of school, in your opinion, has changed since the onset of COVID-19 this past spring? Um, I think before I jump into that, I wanted to share with you some wisdom from a woman that I interviewed many years ago. And I used to do a lot of interviews and this and that. And she was the uh, CEO of a very large uh, mutual fund. And I said, well, so share with me, what's your five-year plan? She said, I don't do five-year plans. I said, really? Why is that? She said, well, I might miss something along the way. Hmm. So I probably am not going to I listened to her very, very, very uh, rigorously. I think that we are in such a climate of um, change right now that it would be foolhardy, really, to imagine. I mean, we can think about it. We can create some scaffoldings. We don't know. And we don't know what we don't know. The good part is that finally we have an opportunity to um, create a new system for kids to learn. I don't like to admire the problem of what was, what was, was, you know. Um, I like to just think about solutions. So I don't know what all is going to happen. I can give you some pieces that I think are absolutely mandatory. I think that teachers are going to need to learn how to teach on a two-dimensional plane. Hard enough in the classroom, but now you're virtual. How do you do that? What is the technique? What are the tools and resources that teachers might avail themselves of as we go forward into what likely will be more and more and more online education. The other piece that I think is really important to think about is because we're going to be in a two-dimensional plane, we have to get very creative how not to speak at kids. I think that's one of the worst things that we do in our system right now is it's the sage on the stage and whether the sage on the stage is a video recording or it's a it's a, a zoom call or whatever it might be it's still at the kids and i don't believe in push education which is what we've been doing for 200 years i'm i'm a fan of pull so what does that mean so pull is when you bring students opportunities to participate in their own learning. And once you give them that opportunity, it's like you, you lit their candle. They go crazy. They want to learn. There's stuff that's cool. And the reason I'm learning math and the reason I'm learning physics and the reason I'm learning chemistry is because I can go make this awesome, cool thing that's going to solve whatever it might be. So, the piece that we've been doing, and we're now 15 years old, which kind of blows my mind. You know, it really does blow my mind. I don't know how that happened. But um, we get these kids, their candles are lit. I mean, they're creating solutions to global and local challenges that come from all over the world. They work together across countries, states, cities, socioeconomic levels. 
they're Gen Z, and Gen Z sees the world the way the astronauts did, without borders or boundaries, and that's because they've grown up on the internet, and the internet is androgynous, really. It doesn't care where you live. So that's a beautiful part of the piece that will be the, the scaffold that will be able to hang the next generation of education on that open, open wisdom of the internet, which isn't to say it doesn't have bad things, it does. So we have to be careful as well. Absolutely, yeah, you bring up some really great points. And you, like you said, you've been working with um, the next generation of explorers, I think is how you, you frame it with the students that you work with. And one question, do they come into your program already having identified their passion pursuit or is your program designed to help them to help them find that? Yeah, there, there's, we don't have a box. So, you know, there's in-the-box thinking and there's out-of-the-box thinking. We have no box. In fact, we created a no-box toolbox. So they can come into our competition. They must work in teams, two to five in a team. And that's intentional because we wanted the SELs as part of this experience with the kids. So there's categories. It's not syrup at a wall. There's aerospace, energy, cybersecurity, health. And this year we're going to be doing oceans, uh, particularly the plastics problem in oceans. So they pick their category, they choose their teams, um, they decide what their product is, they decide who their coach is. So that all the kids have to have an adult. Uh, it could be a parent, a teacher, an after-school program, a university student, a PhD, whatever. Um, and it's student-centered. So the kids have, they're at the helm. They're driving their own rocket. Yeah. They're picking their landing sites. We're just giving them tools and resources to do that. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of um, a, a lot that schools and leaders can learn from programs like yours that are student centric. Uh, we've heard you know you hear about programs where they say we're student centric or it's student centered learning, but when you look at the brass tacks of it, um, in theory they might be, but in practical implementation of empowering students to take classes that they're interested in or listening to their feedback about what, how the school should operate, having a student sit on an advisory panel, those mm. tend to be no. the... Yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at education, I mean, the stakeholder who's at the, never at the table is the consumer. I testified in Congress some years ago, and they asked, you know, kind of how we did this and this and that. I said, well, pay a lot of attention to the consumer. Uh, that would be the students, people. <laughs> well, and I and it, it appears that we're moving in the space of um, you know where competition will increase as it as it relates to K twelve education because now families are looking at different options for their kids to you know whether it's they're going to homeschool their kids in a traditional in the traditional vein of the word or they're going to enroll them in a different you know in a different district or a different school. It's the all signs are pointing that it is going to become even more competitive and people shy away. I think they've shied away from putting students and parents at the center when really at the end of the day, that's who should be at the center of these conversations because they're the decision makers. Yeah. And I mean, it's just an unfortunate, I mean, I understand it. Somebody's got to take the leadership position and make decisions of what the structure is. Yeah. But within that structure, the stakeholder, the voice of the stakeholder is incredibly important. I mean, do you think for five minutes that, that 
let's say Tesla now, because we don't use General Motors and Ford so much anymore. Let's just say Tesla is designing a car. Do you think for a moment they're not going to have somebody get in there and take it for a drive and see how it works and ask them their opinion of all the widgets and Jim Jiggies in there? No, they're not going to design it and then say, here, drive it. That's what we do with education. Now, the opportunity now is to, for leaders, and there's so many people working in this sector, and my dream child is that there's a, a, an ecosystem that comes together that really does, that works in this sector, and there's so many great leaders, and I'm blessed to know many of them, and, and we want to work together. There's no structure for that to happen. Nobody's put down the the bones and that's the opportunity that's sitting there and it's got to happen fast do you think that the reason why that ecosystem that infrastructure of leaders with the passion and the knowledge do you think the reason why that hasn't come together is because there hasn't been a really a collective need before or do you think there's other drivers behind that um so I, I've participated in, for over 20 years, in the patient safety effort. So that was created out of a study that happened in, right after my husband was killed. And that study understood that there are people that die in hospitals because of error. The study was to err as human. So the Institute for Healthcare Improvement in Boston put a group together, asked all the different stakeholders to participate, and it wasn't a game of blame and shame. It was a system failure. Well, we have a system failure in education. The whole model of what IHI did in bringing stakeholders together, whether it was superintendents or or associates of business or owners of hospitals, nurses, doctors, patients, parents, the whole ecosystem came together, recognized the system failure and created solutions. And that's still going on. That's the model. Um, so the model exists. I, I, I mean, I don't know. If I weren't so short, I'd probably take the reins and try and do it. <laughs> I'm so busy with our own competition, and that's a terrible excuse. And I have talked about that model to a number of different people that are high-level people in this world of education. And some of them are in their silos. They're creating this very special sauce, and that special sauce is going to be the big solver, and it's all about me, 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 me. And that doesn't work. So some brave soul, um, and I'll help in whatever ways I can, some brave soul will be the frontiersman that takes this model, which we know works, and overlay it onto this monster education um, that needs to be redone. And you can't, you can't, there's nothing to fix you got to just blow it up. And there's nothing to reimagine. I mean, you got to go past your imagination. you got to just do it. Uh, but anyway, that's... Well, it's, you've got a great vision for it. And 
at Future of School, we are um, talking, having the same conversations. And when we met last, Nancy, we talked about figuring out a way that we could work together more closely. So it seems like this would be a good, a good place to close to leave our listeners um, coming back for more because we do need to have an entity and an organization that is agnostic, that it doesn't have pushes and pulls of a private agenda or personal opinions where you can say, we're here to help the kids and to empower teachers to transform what teaching and learning has meant in our country to better serve our consumers. So, so the guy that created the framework for the Institute for Healthcare, he's still around, and that's easy access. I mean, I really think that's at least a beginning place, and I know you guys are doing some great work, and maybe you are the epicenter of this ecosystem that makes it happen. Somebody's got to do it. Um, and, you know, every, otherwise we're going to sit around and we're going to admire this thing until we're all just, you know, 112 and our kids are going yada da because maybe they won't even be alive. It could be locusts and vermin and maybe Noah will come around with a zark, who knows. But it is the perfect storm in the perfect time to re, just dig into this thing and make it happen. My opinion. Excellent. And that's what we're what, that's what we're planning to do. So I look forward to continue conversations with you. Nancy, thank you so much for your time and for having us uh, really look at what school looks like tomorrow, the day after, and six months down the road. And, and we'll we'll talk about 2025 as we get closer. Okay, a pleasure to talk with you, Amy. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. In a recent study by Future of School. Only one out of every 10 teachers said that they felt comfortable integrating high-touch technology in their instruction. But the majority are interested in learning how to effectively use technology in their classrooms. What is the discrepancy? We need to ensure the proper professional development, beginning with training at the leadership levels, and a culture that supports new ways of teaching and learning. With this in place, teachers will be able to actively and creatively use different platforms, interactive whiteboards, AI, and much more. Well, hey everybody, I'm Jackson Caves, and I graduated from Amber Pocasset High School in Oklahoma. I'm currently attending Oklahoma State University, majoring in mechanical engineering. What having online learning classes meant for me is that I really had an opportunity to explore myself and my interests. A little bit background for me is I came from a small rural school I graduated with 47 kids and the teachers were phenomenal there, but really we only could have the basics and we could only have very few classes. So what that all meant for me is that I had an opportunity to explore my interests, to go out and get a head start on my college degree. Going into my sophomore year, going into my sophomore year, I had the opportunity to start concurrent classes through a local community college called Redlands. And for me, that was a big part of my life because it gave me an opportunity to explore a new interest for me, meet new people and new professors. And that's really what I like to do. I think for the future, online learning is a great basis because especially now with the pandemic, a lot of people have this discomfort of going outside and being in large crowds. But for that and for other kids at home too that struggle uh, with learning at their own pace. It really just gives everybody an opportunity 
to learn from the comforts of their home or any time of the day they want. And so I think this really gives an opportunity to help people grow with their education as with themselves and having the comforts of home and life uh, at their fingertips. You're listening to Future of School, the podcast. Next up, today's five and five teacher interview. We have a special guest here with us today. I'd like to introduce Alejandro de la Pena. He's a middle school special education teacher at Parkland Middle School in El Paso, Texas. In addition to being a teacher, he's also a grant writer, a social emotional learning program innovator, and an inspirational educator. Thank you for being here with us, Alejandro. Thanks for having me here. We have a handful of questions that we want to ask you and gather your expertise and opinion on. And the first, we're going to dive right into the first one. What was your first experience that you had that opened your eyes to the potential of blended and online learning? The first time I took a blended class was back in high school, back in 97, a long, long time ago. And I was able to finish three entire classes in about one month. So I loved being able to do that. But then uh, back in college at UTEP, some of my classes were blended and I liked the freedom that it gave me. I was even uh, a uh, TA for some online classes too. It made things easy. So I've always been naturally inclined to technology in the class and I've always used a lot of technology in my classes also. But since I am a special education teacher, I usually get surprised reactions when they see how much tech I use with my students. But I think back to the iPad. Because when it first came out, it was a super game changer for business and entertainment, but no one thought that iPads would be the staple of SPED like they are now. The latest cutting edge technology of today will likely end up in special ed classes of the future somehow. So the current online learning that COVID forces into will stick around for the future of school, I think. Excellent. Thank you. What is the one thing most people, either inside or outside the education profession, seem to misunderstand when it comes to the discussion about online learning? Well, this even surprised me um, when I was thinking about it. But I would say how natural it can feel to teach and how natural it can feel for students also to be in online learning. I've, been, I've heard and I've even felt that uneasiness that going virtual brought over the summer for many people, but I pushed myself to be open about it and try to make it as engaging as in-person can be. So I really searched for new resources and presentations that would make my students feel comfortable. And I'm after this first week of school, I'm happy to report that my students are engaged in my classes like they were in person. They are interacting and socializing and really giving it their best effort. They even join our virtual meetings super early, like 10 minutes or more in the mornings. And they'll stay up, they'll stay on in 10 minutes or more after 4 p.m. wanting to just show me their work and talk some more. That's great. What, what is one strategy that you think every teacher should use in their classroom? Uh, I think for me, the one that works best is to expand my repertoire of learning tools use I got to use a mix of tried and true resources but I also have to not be afraid <clears throat> to mix it up with new ones I think the more you try the more you may fail and that's scary but also the more you try new things the more chances you have to succeed uh, and that that's that's a good thing if you tell your students that you're using something new and it fails 
you're actually even modeling the behavior that you want them to do. And you're building a relationship by creating a supportive learning environment where you as a teacher are showing them that you're willing to learn new things. So it's a win-win all around, even if you fail. Extremely well said. What do you think the future of school should look like for students? Um, I think snow days are over. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to break it to you kids and teachers, but the current situation will show districts all over the country, actually the world, that if uh, inclement weather prevents you from actually going to school in person, you can, you can still switch over to online learning at a moment's notice. Teachers are probably going to now be required to keep an emergency backup lesson that we can use in case of a snow day. Uh, and not only that, but I can also envision grade schools like K through 12 going the way that higher ed has gone more and more recently. Online options. You know, a few years ago when people first heard of an online doctorate or a master's degree from a faraway state, they would doubt the authenticity of the degree. But now, more and more top universities are offering online postgraduate degrees. I think K through 12 schools are gonna go, they're already online, will gain support, and that'll lead to the brick and mortar districts to have to consider providing the same option because the trickle of students leaving for online schools has the potential to turn into a flood of students leaving. And it carries the sound of losing money. That's scary. So they, they either get with it or they lose it. Very true, very true. From your perspective, what is your one big dream that you have about education that you would like to turn into a reality? My one big dream would be to increase teacher salaries substantially, but that's gonna take more than just a pandemic, as strange as that sounds, but I think it's true. At the beginning of the quarantine, teachers were put on a public pedestal with huge outpourings of gratitude from all over, but then it turned into a Hunger Games tribute kind of thing to be a teacher. Lots of people were willing to have us and students try going back to school in person and just send us off with the odds be ever in your favor kind of a blessing. I think we're still in the window to pressure lawmakers to give us that boost in salaries that we deserve, but that window is closing. So we have to show up and vote and let our voices be heard across the computer screens that we're virtually teaching from right now. Great. Thank you so much for being here, Alejandro. You've given us amazing insights and some powerful food for thought. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Future of School, the podcast. To learn more about Future of School, including our student scholarship program, innovative educator prize, and other efforts to highlight and accelerate purposeful innovation in schools, visit our website, futureof.school, follow us on Twitter, at futureof underscore school or connect with us on Facebook or LinkedIn.